Hello and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. On this week's show, we'll look at the Liberal government's Prepare, Trial and Hire program, PATH. It was first announced in the 2016 budget and recently launched despite legislation for its full implementation, not yet passing the Senate. To find out more about this, I'm going to chat with Nadia Montague from the Young Workers Centre. But first, some union news. The International Workers' Memorial Day is this week, on the 28th of April. This is a day of mourning and remembrance for workers killed at work and takes place annually around the world. The physical and mental safety of workers is what our unions are fighting for because everyone deserves to come home safe. So check in with your local trade or labour council for services in your area. I want you to be the first to know about a major announcement we're making today. We're putting jobs first. We're putting Australians first. Unions are approaching Turnbull's announcement of the 457 visa with caution. Last week, Malcolm Turnbull announced that his government would be putting Australians and Australian jobs first by abolishing the 457 visa, but then replacing it with two new visas. Jed Kearney at the ACTU commented that the announcement was more spin than substance, and what really mattered was that Malcolm Turnbull puts an end to the exploitation of workers and of work visas. All workers currently working on the 457 visa will be able to stay, as the scheme will be grandfathered. And if Turnbull really cared about putting Australians first, then where's the new investment in TAFE or apprenticeships to skill up young Australians for the future? Sometimes I wonder whether Malcolm's conducting his pub tests in the business lounge bars of international airports. And in international news, good news for New Zealand women. New Zealand unions representing care and support workers are pleased to be jointly announcing with government a proposed equal pay settlement for 55,000 workers across the aged, residential, disability and home support sectors. Back in 2012, aged care worker and ETU member Christine Bartlett brought an Equal Pay Act case against her employer, where she argued that she'd spent 20 years on a very low pay because aged care is largely performed by women. Christine Bartlett's case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the courts agreed with her that she had been unpaid because of gender discrimination. The case was referred to the employment court to set a fair rate for Christine, but before this happened, the government intervened asking New Zealand unions to work on a negotiated settlement with them so they could avoid further court action and extend the coverage of the negotiations to include all care and support workers in aged care, disability and home support. And the outcome of those talks is today's proposed settlement. So the settlement features a five-year set of pay increases, with the whole settlement worth more than $2 billion over those five years. Christine Bartlett comments that it will give us dignity and pride and make our lives worthwhile, knowing we're being paid what we're actually worth. So from now, hundreds of workers in New Zealand will be meeting around the country to hear about the negotiations and to vote on whether to accept the offer. 
If endorsed, the new rates of pay will come into effect on July 1 this year. 200 workers at the Myrtleford Carter Holt Harvey Timber Mill were locked out by their employer on the 19th of April. It was in response to union workers taking industrial action earlier that morning. Union members were taking industrial action after coming to a stalemate in negotiations for a new EBA. Here's a comment from Andrew Vendramini, Assistant District Secretary of the CFMEU. We've had a bit of rain, so it's wet, it's cold, um, but the, the guys are in pretty good spirits. The guys have uh, been out here since uh, Wednesday morning. Being an EBA, um, being a new EBA, being negotiated, and it's been going for over 12 months. So the guys have gone nearly two years without a, a wage increase. Um, the company weren't weren't uh, sort of coming to the party. They'd put a line in the sand and said, we're not crossing it. Um, it offered 2% per year with, with no other changes. At the moment, the guys don't have... Well, not the whole site doesn't close down for Christmas. Um, so we want to get at least a week's annual leave for Christmas, um, from Christmas Eve to uh, New Year's Day. Um, there's only some employees that um, get to have that week off, not all. So we want it the same for everyone. Uh, and the other one's the income protection insurance. The company currently have insurance, but um, there's a three-month wait before employees can claim. And then when they can claim, they only get paid 75% of their wage. So they virtually go three months without uh, any money before they can make a claim. And then when they can, they only get 75% of their wage. So we think that's a bit unfair. The community's really got behind these guys, and it's fantastic. We've got uh, we've got businesses uh, in the town that have been fantastic. Um, we've just had the, the local bread shop uh, donate some bread. Uh, the local butcher's been helping us out with, uh, with, with meat, sausages, burgers, and that sort of stuff. We want to get it uh, resolved as soon as possible. But uh, we can only do that if the other party are, are willing to talk to us, and at this stage, they're not. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. The PATH program, which stands for Prepare, Trial and Hire, was first announced by the Liberal Party in the 2016 budget. Almost instantly, it was criticised by unions and youth organisations. But it seemed like it wouldn't get through the Senate, the Libs had other battles, and it sort of just went away for a while. That was up until the first week of April, when Treasurer Scott Morrison, the Employment Minister Michaelia Cash, and Liberal MP David Coleman launched the PATH program despite legislation for its full implementation not yet passing through the Senate. So here's how it works. Young, unemployed or disadvantaged people under 25 can sign up for a trial internship with registered employers for between 4 and 12 weeks. The employer hosts the intern, they get $1,000 cash from the government, and then the interns are paid $200 fortnightly incentive payments, which pretty much works out to be $4 an hour. $4 an hour. Then there's the higher part. So if the young job seeker gets a full-time job at the end of their internship from their host employer, then the employer is eligible for a payment between $6,500 and $10,000 from the federal government. The government's job search website, 
said that the money is given to employers to help contribute to the cost of hiring and training. But I have to wonder how much training would really be needed after the worker has already been through 12 weeks of interning. The program in its full form has not yet passed the Senate because of pushback from the ALP, the Greens and other crossbenchers, but the government's pushing on anyway, and not without consequences. Because the program is being implemented without legislation, that means that the $200 incentive payment will actually be counted as money earned. So some job seekers will lose money from their other social security payments, and that could be up to $42 a fortnight. Michaelia Cash is sticking by the program. She says that the government fundamentally believes that the best form of welfare is a job. But this is a program which offers young people up as free labour. It offers them no meaningful qualifications and hands money to employers with no promise of a job at the end. It's reinforcing an idea that fair pay is a privilege, not a right, and that employers are somehow doing workers a big favour by giving them a job at all. Perhaps the government could instead fundamentally believe that the best form of welfare is welfare. I spoke to Nadia Montague from the Young Workers Centre at the Victorian Trades Hall to tell us a bit about this program. At the Young Workers Centre, uh, we have a, an organising arm and a campaign arm uh, where we have um, hundreds of young workers getting together and deciding on issues which are you know, of chief importance to them. And the, the PATH uh, program is something that is really concerning. Uh, we have a... Um, we have someone called Chris Bates, who's 22 years old. He's a university graduate and he's out of work. Um, and, you know, speaking to us, he's like, look, it's really hard to get a decent job these days. And uh, for me to be working for 12 weeks for $100 a week means I get 4 to $10 an hour. And when we see exactly what has been happening at the moment um, all across Australia and in Melbourne in particular, um, you know, it's actually... Wage, uh, like wage underpayment, is not voluntary here in Australia. It is actually very compulsory for a lot of young workers. Um, it would actually see, like, even with the League of Seven Eleven franchise, could now legally pay people four dollars an hour, which is which is really scary. What kind of employers can register to take part in this program? Like, can it be any anyone, or are there certain job areas? Like, can can Coles take part in it? It's incredibly broad. It's actually not really restricted to particular industries. Um, you can, it could be cafes and, and shops and stores, or it could be, uh, you know, mechanics. It could be basically where young workers could be going are areas which they would be very unfamiliar with, with not a lot of preparation. And the thing that's really quite scary is that we don't know uh, exactly, um, because this is really a policy, uh, the PATH program policy is a policy of exceptions the strong legal protections offered by our employment law system. So we really don't know uh, whether these interns, what sort of safeguards they would have, whether they would be, um, whether they would come under as an employee with discrimination issues, with occupational self and hate and safety. Um, it's, it's a really con- confusing policy for young people and it's, it's one which is really mired in confusion and confusion that could have really severe consequences. Yeah, so it didn't it didn't pass through the Senate, but they're pushing ahead with it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, it, there's um, a bit a bit of a cloud over the policy. But what key workplace rights should young workers know if they are taking part in this? I think what every young worker should know is that um, is that they are. It, 
that they are absolutely, um, they should walk into a safe workplace. They should walk into a workplace where they are told the occupational health and safety standards. They are given supervision that they work as part of the PATH program. Um, there is some quite vague um, policy um, information about how there should be a work plan designed for them. However, there isn't a lot of safeguards or follow-up on how that would be maintained or how that would be policed. So I think if you are involved in this program, absolutely get in touch with um, your local um, in Victoria, um, get in touch with the Young Workers Centre. Um, but more than anything, I think rather than trying to um, repair this program, we need to really be pushing to make sure that it doesn't happen. Um, you know, one of the main things that they've been saying about this program is that it's going to be good for young people, that it is going to give them experience. But, I mean, we know here at the Young Workers Centre, people aren't looking to pad their, pad their workers' portfolio. Um, people want fair jobs of which they are paid properly, of which they are safe. And particularly this program uh, isn't really going to result in jobs. We have so many studies that look at that 81.5% of interns don't, are not hired afterwards. Um, I know that uh, I've been speaking to workers that are worried that they're going to be turned into a um, into a cash cow because there is no incentive really for these businesses to decide to hire them um, after uh, an internship, which you know would only pay four dollars an hour, which is just shocking how we're normalising that. Yeah, and um, you know when you're in high school and you do work experience and you're not going into a job that already exists you're you're learning and you're learning about the workplace and how that and that how that works but but there's it's not a job that already exists it's not like a mm-hmm. five people on the checkout and you're the yeah. fifth do you know anything about um, whether people are going into jobs that if the path program didn't exist could be given mm-hmm. to to workers that are paid at the proper rate this is a really really um, important point and one of the main concerns about the path program. Um, it, it really creates um, an Australia where exploited interns are widespread, um, when entry-level jobs are already scarce. And we, might, we will see interns being hired to perform the tasks of employees without the corresponding rights, the entitlement, and certainly not the paycheck. Um, so it's, it's really, really... Uh, it's, we already have an issue where um, you know, I speak to young workers every day where they say, I've just applied for a, a coffee job to be a barista and they want four years experience, which is essentially my bachelor's degree plus an honours year in making coffee. Um, there is a huge, there is a behaviour um, amongst many businesses and employers where they just do not think that they ever need to train or induct any employees. Um, so they want to look for experienced people um, where that experience often sort of just doesn't exist. And this, is, this program actually fits perfectly into that really problematic way of thinking that employers have, of saying, I can hire an intern and I can keep hiring interns. And we, can, we will see and can see that uh, entry-level jobs could be replaced by internships and replaced by internships that match no other kind of payment system in any other sort of structured, organised industrial relations system in the world. And it's happening here in Australia where we actually have some of the strongest employment rights when we decide to use them and mm. when we decide to respect them. Yeah, when we decide to use them. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. it's that thing of, of bringing in a workforce to undercut 
the existing workforce and we see it with, with migrant workers as well and it's not that the other workers are the problem. The problem is that we're being pinned against each other. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks so much for talking to me today. And if there are young workers in other states that need a bit of help, uh, would you refer them to their local trade labour councils or...? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there is a there are similar institutions that are sort of um, similar to the Young Workers Centre um, in other states. But I think you want to join uh, workers who are already organising and already know the problems you're going through. So that will be uh, getting in touch with your trade trades and labour council, and or if you are working part time and you know people who are going through this, if you're not a union member want to be a union member and you want to give solidarity to people who, if you don't need help, you certainly want to be standing behind people who do. The Work for the Dole program first popped up in 1997. Under the Howard government, it became compulsory. It stayed in place under the Rudd and Gillard governments, but was made voluntary. But then in July 2015, ramped back up as part of the government's welfare policy under former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott. On Thursday the 19th of April, to coincide with the one-year anniversary of Work for the Dole worker Josh Parkfing's tragic death, the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union held a rally outside the State Library of Victoria. Today I'm speaking with Owen Bennett, President of the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, about this rally. This was a rally that had two key demands. The the first and foremost demand of of the Justice for Josh rallies was for the government to release the report into Josh's death, which has taken... One year so far, and it's, it's been one year since Josh's tragic death has worked for the Dole side, and the government has still refused to release a report into into his death. What what the union believes, and a lot of other groups that support us believe, is that the government is trying to bury Josh's death in order to protect the Work for the Dole program, because there's so much evidence out there that the Work for the Dole program is unsafe, punitive, and it doesn't work, but... The government um, doesn't want to release this information because I think it become very clear to everybody that this, this program doesn't work and it's dangerous. And that's why the second demand of the rally is, is for them, is for the, the federal government to scrap work for the dole and and the community development program, which basically, basically work for the dole on steroids in um, in in the north, in the mostly indigenous areas where people are forced to do work for the dole, dole all year round. And indefinitely. So yeah, people who've been on work for the Dole for like four or five years, sometimes even ten years, up up in these indigenous areas. And it's, in those areas, there's there's so many financial penalties being imposed on people who don't rock up to their their work for the Dole sites. These are basically private companies running work for the Dole activities. That if you don't show up, for example, if you think your site is dangerous, you work for the Dole site, you're not happy with that work for the Dole site, you don't show up on the Monday. That day, you'll be the financial penalty will be imposed on you. And that's $50, and $50 each day that you don't re-engage and show up to that work for the doll side. So work for the doll participants have been put into this position where they either show up to their dangerous activity, because we know that two-thirds of work for the doll activities don't meet basic safety standards. That's the government's own report. So if people don't show up to these dangerous activities, then they get um, a penalty. In Indigenous areas, it's a financial penalty, and in non-Indigenous areas, it's just a suspension. And are people in these sites, particularly up north, are they working alongside doing the same jobs as as paid employees? That's a difficult question. I mean, we've always suspected that work for the doll is replacing paid workers. 
Um, but it's, it's difficult to prove because according to the, the actual rules of the system, um, these programs are, are, are designed and they're meant to not replace paid workers. But we've actually um, received evidence that people are actually, we'll work with all participants, are actually doing things that are commercial in nature and people are making a profit of what they're doing. So that's that's a real big red flag and that shows that this, this program is actually killing jobs. Much like the PATH, the, the difference between Work for the Doll and PATH is Work for the Doll is restricted to non-for-profit companies. But what we knew is that that, that was still replacing paid workers in, say, council jobs, gardening jobs, um, op shops. Like there was, that there, was, there was paid staff working alongside Work for the Doll staff in op shops. So these op shops like Salvation Army and stuff, and these councils, why would they ever employ someone on a ward when they can get them for free? So it was, it was kind of the worst-kept secret in the industry that Work for the Doll was replacing paid work. Now with the PATH program, the government has been completely open about it, and they're saying we're going to expand the Work for the Doll program into for-profit businesses like cafes and small to medium-sized businesses. And what they're doing under that program is they're actually paying businesses up to $10,000 to take on the free labour of unemployed workers. And they're doing that in, you know, in the hope that it's going to give people uh, an opportunity to get work. Well, what business is going to employ someone on an award wage and pay them fairly when they can just keep on churning through the 800,000 unemployed people that are currently, currently um, in Australia? It is worth saying that the PATH program is only open to under-25s, but um, you know, the unemployed workers, you can believe, it's going to be um, completely expanded out to everybody. This is, this is the sort of direction the government is heading with, um, with its social security policy. It wants to basically just give business free unemployed labour and pay them to do it. And it's, 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 it's probably the most business-friendly policy that we've ever seen in Australia, where they're actually giving businesses free labour and paying them for it. It's, it's a complete disgrace. If you're an unemployed worker and you have concerns about these programs and want a bit more information, there's places you can go. Uh, here's Owen again to explain. The, the best thing to do for those people is to go on the Unemployed Workers Union website and have a look at the material there about your right not to do work for the doll, which is on, on our website. And a lot of people don't know this, and the, the job agencies, which are a $10 billion industry, basically designed to punish unemployed workers and force them into unfair activities and appointments, um, they actually get a... There's a financial incentive for them to put you into work for the doll. So all they talk about when when it, it's, it's time for unemployed workers to do what's called the annual activity requirement, which is an activity they have to fulfill in order to get their, their doll, all they talk about is work for the doll. They, say, they call it the work for the doll phase. Well, actually, you don't have to necessarily do work for the doll. You can do a whole range of approved activities to meet that requirement. And the job agencies don't tell anyone about this. And that's one of the main things that the Unemployed Workers Union is trying to inform unemployed workers about, is that if you have rights, you don't have to do work for the doll. You have the right to refuse that. What you can do is you can organise your own voluntary approved activity through Centrelink over the head of your job agency. Mm. And that's something that we really encourage people to do. If you feel unsafe at your work for the doll site, boycott the program, go to a, a, a non-for-profit organisation that you think is, is better and actually you're interested in and you, and you could be like to help and organise with them to make that a, an approved activity through Centrelink and you can actually um, get that get that all set up and then do your activity there instead. And if anyone has any issues about that, they should contact the Unemployed Workers Union. We have a five days a week hotline 
on um, 03-8394-5266. May Day represents the international celebration of organised labour and there are many May Day celebrations that you can attend in Australia. Some of them are on May Day itself, some of them the first weekend after May Day. I recently heard a unionist refer to May Day as Christmas for unions, and that's reflected with family fun days across the country. I'm going to tell you about a couple of marches in capital cities, but there are lots of events outside of state capitals, so if you're having trouble finding an event near you, ask your union or your trade labour council. So, workers in Brisbane, your march is on May Day, the 1st of May at 10am. The march will start from the corner of Wharf and Turbot Streets and travel to the RNA showgrounds for a free day-long festival. Workers in Sydney, your annual May Day march will be happening on Sunday the 7th of May, kicking off at Hyde Park North from 12pm, followed by a march down to Prince Alfred Park for food, live music and entertainment for all ages. If you're in Darwin, the Darwin March starts at 3.30pm on Monday, May the 1st at 38 Wood Street, followed by a free community concert held after the march in the Bicentennial Park. Western Australian workers will celebrate with their annual May Day Festival at the Fremantle Esplanade on Sunday the 7th of May from 10am to 2pm. If you're in Adelaide, your march is on Saturday the 6th of May from Victoria Square South to Light Square with speeches, music, food, drink and kids entertainment. For workers in Hobart, you will celebrate on Sunday, April the 30th at 12pm with a march starting from the CPSU, which is 157 Collins Street, through the city and finishing at the Waratah Hotel in Murray Street. And Melbourne, May Day will be celebrated with a family event at the Victorian Trades Hall on the 7th of May from 10 till 2. There'll also be a march which will start outside the front of the hall at 1.30pm. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks for listening. This program is produced in Melbourne studios of 3CR and it's broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for this show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash sticktogether. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers of the show, you can give us a call on 03-9419-8377 or you can email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Sarah McKenzie. Until next time, stick together.